So I was, I was thinking about today. I was thinking about many years ago, there were some people who were told that they could not worship God in the way that they wanted to. We call them pilgrims. And they came to a new land, a harsh land, a difficult land. And they did that because they wanted the freedom to worship. They sought it out. And they, they overcame incredible obstacles. Half of them died the very first year. And in all of that, their reasoning for, for pursuing this new adventure was to be able to worship freely. You know, there's, there's not a law against worshiping, but it sure seems like there's been a, a, a lot of uh, things to, to keep that from happening. And, but I realize, you know, no one can, can cause you to not worship. Except you. And, you know, it is easier when we gather together when we encourage each other, when we're with each other to, to worship. The title of our message today is Let Us. And, and I, I want to speak to you about four things. The, the very first thing that I thought about when thinking about coming back together was that verse in Hebrews. So I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at uh, scripture there. Now, the, the one that just popped out to me is verse 25. Uh, don't neglect meeting together, you know, and, and that just pops in my head. And, and, and I'm not even sure I was awake when this popped into my head. You know, it was one of those kind of a things, half awake, half asleep. And, and yet I, I then, when I was fully awake, went to this scripture and I read the context and, you know, we kind of cherry-pick that one verse and we pull it out and, and we just throw it out to people as one verse. But if you look at the surrounding text, there's actually four things that God encourages us to do. And um, the, the first thing I need to give you is just a tiny bit of background. Under the old covenant, the old agreement that God made with his people, the Jews, they were to set up a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, there was going to be a couple of rooms. There was going to be the holy place and the holy of holies place. The holy place and the most holy place. And that was situated at the back of the tabernacle. Now, if you can see this uh, diagram that we have here, uh, it, it just shows a cutout of the tent of, of meeting. And, and the people would just kind of stand around. Sometimes they would come into a courtyard that is outside of this, uh, the, the holy places. Because only the priests could go into the holy place. And only one priest, one time of year, could go into the most holy place. And so this priest could go in there after a process of ritual cleaning, and they could enter this most holy place. Uh, this was on the Day of Atonement, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For everyone else, even other priests, it was off limits. And you know, I, I've been kind of feeling that way, that, that church has been off limits. Haven't you felt that way? And yet, there was a time when even this was established for the worship of God, to come into God's presence was 
so awesome, it, 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 was, it was like defying death in order to do that. And if you want to look it up, uh, in, in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, that's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. And you remember that guy who stumbled, put his hand out, touched the Ark and died? You know, pretty scary. So one day a year, the priest would come in and make this blood sacrifice, this offering. This blood would cover the sins of the people. Atonement. When the tent of the tabernacle then became uh, the, the temple, uh, it was replaced in Jerusalem uh, during the time of Solomon. A giant curtain that had been a part of that. You can see it in the back of the, uh, behind the priest in, the, in our drawing. This, this curtain continued to separate the most holy place from the rest of the temple. Now, at the moment that Jesus died, this massive curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, it says. And that's in Matthew 27, 51. Now, the writer of the Hebrews picks up on this and he proclaims that this, this dramatic change that, that happened from the old system of the law to the new system of grace, and, and he uses this phrase, and so, which also means like, therefore. So, and so, he then writes, let us. So there is a response because now the curtain is torn. The access to God is available. And we have that access today. Let's begin with verse 19 of Hebrews. And it says, and so. Dear brothers and sisters, this is written to the people of God. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What was off limits before, now we have access because of the blood of Jesus. We have access to God. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood to forgive our sins. And so we can enter into God's holy presence. Verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And so, four things. Number one, if you're taking notes today, write this down. Let us come. Now, I'm going to give you the word come, but actually in the New Living Translation, it says go. But can you get the go and come together? Try that. It says this, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go, and the word actually translated is come, or approach, or draw near. And you know what? This word also can be translated worship. Come, worship. Let us worship. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. And look at this, fully trusting Him. He is the one in whom we must put our trust. This idea, come, let us draw near to God. Let us worship. 
And the blood of Jesus makes a way for us to come to God. And we have to trust Him. And, and when we do put our trust in Jesus, we get to come to God. Trust God. Come near. Have you done that? Well, sure, you've been in church a lot. You've had times when when you bowed in prayer, maybe you went to an altar, and you said, forgive my sins. I come to you. I put my trust in you to forgive my sins. But for the last four months, we haven't been able to really come together in just that way to do that. So number one today is let us come. The passage goes on. It says, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. You know, I, I, on a, just a surface read of this, I, I thought, oh, that's talking about baptism. But it's really not about baptism. This is about Christ's blood cleaning us up. It, it, the idea that, that, that we would need to be cleansed from our sin. And so there's that image of baptism, but it is so much more because it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us. Now, we enter into this process here. Imagine if you were going to go on a big date. Did you ever go on a big date? I mean, a really big date? Uh, the biggest date that I ever went on uh, was the prom, the senior prom. Now, this was prom night, 1969. Ooh. I got off work early that day. I worked at Arts Food Center, but I only worked in the morning, and I took the rest of the day off to prepare for this big date. I borrowed my brother's car. I was driving a 55 Chevy Bel Air. Really cool car, but it was a straight six. It barely ran sometimes. It, it, I poured my life into that car, but I borrowed my brother's car because he had a 1965 Malibu Super Sport. So I borrowed my brother's car, I uh, washed the car, I washed myself, I got dressed up, rented a tuxedo. Uh, I, I, we went out to dinner. I had a girlfriend at the time, we went out to dinner at the Space Needle. Ooh. Man, it was, it, it was a big time deal, you know. And the Space Needle? We got a, a table right by the window, and that whole section rotates. It takes one hour to go all the way around. And if you've ever been to Seattle, you're, you're looking out over the sound, or the lake, and the mountains, and there's Mount Rainier out there, and, and the Olympics, and it's just like, it was an incredible, we put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort into this big date, okay? I mean, then we went to the Olympic Hotel. I really can't dance, but I went there and looked good and, and shuffled around a little and, and that was it. It was, it was a big thing. And I put a lot of effort into that. And that's the dedication. That's what Christ would have us do. That kind of effort put in to our relationship with Him, to following Him. To, to come to Him. And He doesn't want us to just do it when we can do it gathered together. But we do it in all kinds of different ways. You, you do it when you, when you kneel by your, at your chair or your bed and you pray. Or, 
or you read the Bible, when, when you're meeting with one other person and talking about the things of God. We, we, we put that kind of dedication together every day when, when we have a moment, when we, when we bow our head to say, thank you for this food. And thank you for those who provided it. And, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes we, we take those moments that ought to be huge dedication and we just routine them down to good grief, let's eat. You know, that kind of a thing. What are we doing there? This is the presence of God. We get to come into his presence and we have not been doing that as well. Sure, you can do that at home, but it's so much better when we can do it together in this place. I mean, Jesus died to make it possible for you to come. Let us get close to God. And if in these last four months you don't feel like you've been as close to God as you have been in the past, well, guess what? Most of us, might feel that way. You know, if you have really entered into your relationship with God, maybe even during this time, you become closer to Him. Oh, if that, that that could be so. But Christ made the way. So take advantage of the opportunity. Come. And that's what we have done today. Let us come. Number two, let us hold. Verse 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. That means we agree that this hope is there and we got to take hold of it because it's hope. And hope's hard to get hold of. Sometimes it escapes our grasp. But we do this for God can be trusted to keep His promises. So as you have a moment to review the promises of God that are listed in His Word, Get a hold of those. They're meant for you. They're meant for you to hold on and to share with others so that they can get a hold of that too. One of the versions says, let us hold unswervingly. I don't use that word unswervingly very often. But it means straight ahead, without wavering is what it says in, in the New Living. And what this really means is to make a confession of your hope. I am putting my hope in you, Jesus. God will keep His promises. Do you believe that? And He can be trusted. But guess what? He trusts you. When you become one of His children, one of His followers, He trusts you to follow. Now, you probably, some many of you have had children, and you love them and cared for them and, and you discipline them and you encourage them to follow in your footsteps. Uh, especially your prayer was to fall, for them to follow in your faith. And, and you know, we struggle with that because sometimes we, we trusted them. We gave them responsibility and encouragement and, and maybe they're not honoring and following the way that we would really like. Well, let me tell you, folks, there are often times when God trusts us to follow Him and, and we follow our own way. We, we don't hold on to the hope we have in Him and we seek other avenues for hope and, and for the promise. But it is time for us this day, let us hold tightly to the promises of God. Get a hold of God. Don't let go. Take hold and share. 
Share your hope with others. He can be trusted. He trusts you to take hold of Him. Number three, let us think. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You know, sometimes when we want somebody to change, and I'm thinking about having teenage boys lying on the floor, and I'm wanting them to go out and mow the lawn or wash the car or something like that. And I've, I've spoken to them eight times, and, and they've just, yeah, 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 in a minute, or if they acknowledged at all. You know, I have to tell you something, and I think it's a Dickerson trait that when the TV's on, our focus is unwavering. Unswervingly, we focus on TV. Does that happen at your house? This still happens, because when the TV's on at home, uh, even if it's one of Colette's shows, like on Hallmark Channel, which is, you know, Christmas uh, in July now, uh, they're running through all the top 20 or whatever. Somehow when the TV's on, you know, I focus on that. Colette's running around doing all kinds of other things. She's probably seen this one four times and never really sat through it once. Okay, you understand? And so this idea here is not to just kick someone to get them to do what you want them to do. Expect them to change. Just kick them. It kind of worked for the boys for a little while, but not so much anymore. What God does to us, he doesn't just kick at us and tell us, get going. He takes time with us. He lets us go at our pace. And once in a while, there might be a moment when he gives us a little kick. There's a little crisis moment. There, something happens and it, and it wakes us up. And, and then we have the opportunity at that moment to consider. That's what this word means, to think to consider, to take time and process. How are you behaving? What are you doing? What does God want you to do? And how is what you're doing different from what His desire is? We have to think about these things. We have to to consider them. It is not just a situation where you go and you get pumped up and it's an emotional thing. It's It's a mental thing. It's a process of thinking and considering. It is not just an emotional high and then you walk away and forget about it. It is something that you consider and ongoingly consider. What are we supposed to do? We are to think. We are to consider how we might encourage each other. This word is spur. And, and, And that's why I thought about sometimes God spurs us. He kicks us. Just gently. Not enough to hurt us, but to get us going. Spur, and we are to spur one another. So don't go around just start kicking people, okay? Gently nudge them, spur them on to show love. That, that, that's what we're supposed to do. This whole idea of why we think about God, why we consider, is, is so that we can show love the way God loved us. Now we are to love others. Now, kicking somebody doesn't really necessarily seem like a good way to show them love, right? But if somebody's going down the wrong direction and you tackle them to stop them from going that way, 
You did that out of love for them, desire for them not to get into a difficult situation. And so discipline, even though it doesn't seem pleasant at the time, is meant for our good because God loves us. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. He, he kicks us, he spurs us uh, to, to, to show love and to, to encourage each other to show love. And to demonstrate that love with kind acts. Christians are to, to do acts of love, to pay it forward, to, to, to do whatever we can to show other people that God is love by showing them love and demonstrating it with, with kindness. So our purpose is to think about how we might do that. The purpose of worship is so that we can get closer to God, come to Him, that we can get a hold of His promises, and then we can think about how to put them into practice. Let me tell you, for the four months, it has been a challenge for us to worship. We have had to work at it. Um, we had to work at getting our presence online. And, you know, I'm thankful for, for online worship. It is better than not having worship. It's not near as good as this. But you know what? For some, it's all they have. And, and, and so we, we had to think and be creative on how to do this. But number four, we come to the last let us, and it's the one that you know the best. Let us not neglect, let us not give up meeting together. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. You know, we're meeting here in person. It's for the first time in four months. But we have been meeting. And I, I know this because, because I've said to people, oh, it'd be so nice to be able to see you. And they say, well, I see you, Pastor. And, and I see you every week. And, and they report uh, uh, a little something, maybe something from the Word of God that, that spoke to them that day and that made a difference when they were isolated and alone. I'll tell you, having uh, uh, the online presence has, has been wonderful. And if you can't be here physically, you can, you can be present spiritually. It's harder to do church this way, but we're trying to do it anyway. Now, we don't know. Uh, actually, the way counties are going, our county has been more fortunate. I just myself heard this morning that we had the, the first death attributed to COVID in South Lake Tahoe. Uh, in our county uh, this this weekend. And and so we have been very fortunate. Uh, and the whole Tahoe region, has, it's been difficult. More, more than half the cases are there. But when we when we think about, you know, they when we when we open up, when we meet together, we have to be more diligent. Now, um, I don't know how many times you've come to church and had to use disinfectant to get in. You know, and uh, we're all, almost all, everyone except me is wearing a face mask today. And I just couldn't do it to preach, but, but I did it until then. Because we're taking precautions so that we can meet. And if, we, if, if it's just too risky 
then don't come here and meet, but meet online. Um, I, I, I love it. And, and it, it's, it's so wonderful that Anne is here today. But Anne had a challenge getting the messages online. But Judy lives just down the way. And so they decided to cohort. That means they became a part of their same household. They, they became a household. And they met together every Sunday in the morning. They had a little brunch. Did you always have breakfast together? They had breakfast together. They made it into a really good thing. And each of them are alone. But they got to come together. And because Anne couldn't watch it on her device, Judy set it up and they got to do it. That's a tiny example about how we can think through processes and make something work so that we can be together. We need that. We need to meet together. So if you can't be here physically, be here spiritually. It's harder to do church this way. Do it anyway. Verse 22, that last verse... The last portion of the verse that we're looking at today says this. But encourage one another. There are so many times when in the Bible, often said by Jesus, he says one another. This word one another. That gives us indication about what we ought to be doing in the family of God. We ought to one another one another. You know, things like love one another and show kindness to one another and spur one another. Encourage one another. Especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. I find it very interesting to study 1918. Over a hundred years ago, we know that there was a world war. They called it the Great War. After that, there was a flu epidemic that killed millions of people. And the conditions at the time after war, and there was famine, and, and there was uh, a, a lot of disease because of impure water and not enough food. And so those conditions caused people to think it's the end of the world. And there was a lot of in the religious community that really believed it because it met so many of, of those stipulations in the Bible that would be in place in order for Jesus to come again. Now, I want you to know, we as Christians ought to look forward to Jesus coming again. And, and it says here that his day of returning is drawing near. You know, if this was written in Hebrews 2,000 years ago, man, how, what kind of a system of time measurement are they using? You know, what does it mean that it's near? I think one of the wonderful things that we can do as Christians is to always live our lives as if, as if today might be the last day. I mean, would you talk to somebody about the Lord today if you knew it was the last day you had to do that? What would you do differently? I mean, I think of all the unimportant things that I do. And, and you know, I, I put off some important things in favor of some urgent, unimportant thing. Do you do that? You don't have to say yes, but I see you nodding. 
You see, we're to encourage one another even more because we need to live like it because every day we are one day nearer to Jesus coming again. And let me tell you, there are a lot of signs. The Bible says we're not going to know when. But well, for the person who's alert, there's a lot of signs to look for. Now, I'm really leery of these well-meaning, uh, often TV preachers who say something like, hey, uh, Jesus is coming on September 21st. I'm not sure about that, but I'm very excited because Comcast is supposed to be coming on September 21st. So, Jesus, please, just delay a little longer because we're getting faster internet here at the church so that we might even be able to stream online. That's just a little bonus thing thrown in there, okay? But, you know, we're to encourage one another. We're not to shame one another. We are not to look down on anyone, but to lift each other up. Lift each other up into the presence of God. When we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it is so important for us to do it together. There's an old story, perhaps you've heard it before, I love it. It's a story of a, of a parson who made, you know, he's a circular preacher, went to different places, and this is in the old days, and there was an old farmer, and he had been a part of the church, and but his wife had died, and, and it just wasn't easy for him to get up and get out, and, and so he, he was not attending. And so the parson had talked to him several times and, and encouraged him, but he still hadn't shown up. And so one day the parson showed up at the old farmer's house, and he knocked at the door and he was invited in. And they sat down there right before the fire. And in that moment, the parson got up and he walked over to the fire and he grabbed some tongs that were there and he reached in and it was just roaring blaze and he took one of the logs and he lifted it out and he put it on the hearth just beyond the rest of the flames. And it burned for a while. He didn't say a word. And it just burned out. And then as soon as it was, it was really out, the parson walked over, picked it up with the tongs, placed it back in the fire, and it immediately leapt to life. It was in flame again, burning brightly. And the old farmer looked at the parson, and he said, I'll be in church next Sunday. And the parson said, Amen. May it be so. And he got up and left. What an important time for us to encourage one another and to do it with love. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, you know what's right for us. And you know, your book guides us into knowing what we need to do. And so, let us come to you. Let us hold on to your promises. Let us consider 
how in this difficult time we might encourage each other. And let us do it. And let us meet. As often as we're able, let us come into your presence with another person or or a few and let us worship. It is right. It is the best for us to do it this way. And so we praise you and honor you. We give you glory. And let us live like today is the only day we have to serve you. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's not here yet. Let us live for you today. And let us live in love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today.